Are you loving this podcast? Would you want even more interior design content? Maybe a sneak peek into how I work with my clients? Maybe uh, listening to me read a little bit in my interior design diary? Well, you will want to become a premium member. For as little as $5.99 a month, you will help to support this podcast, keeping us on the airwaves week after week, but you will also get access to our bonus archive of over 50 episodes, including a fresh monthly episode. Additionally, when you submit a question to info at Affordable Interior Design, it will get bumped to the top of the mailbag if you are a premium member. No longer will you have to wait to get your questions answered by me. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com podcast to become a premium member today. I would really appreciate it. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy Helmet. hi everyone i hope that you are feeling good and staying safe this has been such a tumultuous time and it's really hard to know how to come on the airwaves today Because not only do we have the coronavirus, which is plaguing the entire world, we now have this other layer of injustice and racism. And uh, as you know, this podcast is based in New York, and this is not only a hotbed for the pandemic, it's also a hotbed for protests, for the rioting, the looting. There's so much sadness right now, so much unrest. And um, I am not an expert on politics, but I also am not going to pretend it's not happening. Not only is it rocking New York in addition to towns around the country, Uh, and especially a place that I hold near and dear to my heart, Minneapolis, where I lived for four years. I went to college in the Twin Cities. I lived right where everything is happening, seeing the images of the rioting and the protests um, and the issues there just makes my heart heavy. But racism cannot continue. I stand with the protesters. I can't believe in 2020 uh, we're still dealing with these issues. And while I am not very eloquent on the topic, I do want to do what I can do. So at Affordable Interior Design, we can give. That's what I know I can do at this time, Uh, even though it's been a really tough time for small businesses. And our business has been uh, slashed 70%, and I'm being generous, it's more like 75%. Our business has been slashed 75% during this um, coronavirus time, but that doesn't mean we can't give. That doesn't mean that we can't stand up for what's right in the way that we can. So at Affordable Interior Design, we are donating 10% of all revenues in June to Together Rising, which is a um, charity that I feel very strongly 
about that does deep investigations on what local organizations it can help and then helps more locally rather than giving to these huge corporations. Um, well, I guess they're not corporations if they're 501c3. But anyway, these big nonprofits that money goes to all sorts of different things and doesn't go directly to the people. So that's what we're going to do. So whether you sign up for the Academy in June, whether you become a premium member in June, both are beautiful ways to support us, or whether you work with us as your interior designer and get a virtual package in June, 10% of that will go directly to Together Rising to help during this time when it feels like the world is on fire and we're hunkered down at home. You know, I was talking to my husband yesterday and I was saying, you know, I've been through a lot from September 11th to other big moments, but there's sometimes when you just realize history's happening around you, maybe some unprecedented history, and you're just a little bit frozen, and you know that this is a moment. And unfortunately, this is a moment on several different levels. And um, and I want to know, looking back on history when this is over, and hopefully um, there will be massive change. But I want to know that I did something, that I didn't just sit by. So I hope that you're helping in the ways that you can. And if one of the ways that you decide to help is by working with us here at Affordable Interior Design, joining the Academy or becoming a premium member, I want you to know that not only do we appreciate that, we see that and we want to give back because we want to make the world better. Not just with pillows, but also um, with financial resources. All right. Well, you know, somebody mentioned in an email I'll read later that they liked this podcast because it was a distraction from the news. And I know I definitely need distractions from the news. In fact, I have been watching like the most mundane fluff. Normally, I'm into true crime, as you guys know. I can't even handle that right now. I cannot handle a crime. It feels like everything's in upheaval. I need the safe space of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And I just found Nick Viles podcast, um, The Vile Files, and I am digging into that. And I'm watching past episodes, so no, no spoilers. But that is what I am doing to stay sane. I'm watching a lot of past Bachelor, Bachelorette episodes. I am communicating with my husband. I am donating to these causes. And I am answering your questions because, you know, we all need a distraction. All right. My first question comes from Lydia. Lydia writes, hi, Betsy. My boyfriend and I are attempting to make our new as-is house into more of a home. I recently noticed how old and ugly the kitchen backsplash is, and now I cannot unsee it. I'm not interested in a major project, and I am leery about painting over old tiles. My plan is to cover the tiles with a stick-on product like Smart Tiles. It is a galley kitchen with light wood cabinets, warm granite counters, and horrible dark red walls. The floors are off-white square tile, but we recently replaced an area of broken tiles with gray rectilinear tiles because the old tiles were discontinued, and we decided that no match was better than a poor match. My boyfriend's style is definitely modern. My style is more cozy cottage. We both like gray and we both like neutrals. Neither of us particularly likes the design of the kitchen, but it is a style and we have no plans to renovate. We do plan to repaint the entire we do plan to repaint, excuse me, and the entire floor will ultimately need replacement. 
Should we choose a backsplash look that suits our personal taste and hope that the changes add up? Or should we lean into the existing theme to keep it internally consistent? All the patterns that speak to me seem too cold or modern to put next to these warm tones on the counters. I know you recommend using different shapes and sizes of tiles, but that does not narrow it down too much in this particular case. I would be open to doing a fun color or a pattern since everything else we choose will inevitably be simple and gray. But this seems high risk and choosing an accent that we have to accommodate in any future updates also seems risky. What color, what shape, classic, modern, retro, should it even look like tile? Help! Any suggestions to set us on the right track would be greatly appreciated. Love the podcast and thanks for all you do, Lydia. P.S. I've attached some photos of the kitchen and the old and new flooring and also some of the tiles I liked. Yes, these pictures are very helpful, Lydia. I'm going to attempt to describe your kitchen in more detail. So your current backsplash are the square three and a half by three and a half tiles. They look like they're in an off-white. Your cabinets are a light brown color that's almost bordering on honey. They are definitely warm, as you brought up. Now the countertops are really warm. There is, of course, a foundation of beige, but then it's got stippling that has caramel colors, deep brown. It might even have some burgundy in there. I can't really see, but I'm thinking that that's where they derived this really saturated burgundy wall or color from. So first I'm going to talk about your floor tiles. The cabinets are warm. The countertop is warm. I don't see any gray in here at all. So I think first of all that your choice of gray floor tiles for the replacement patching in the kitchen was a misstep. And I don't think you should do more of that when you replace the floors. Rather, I think you should go in a beige direction. If you have no plans to renovate anytime soon, if you are keeping these countertops, gray is not okay. It does not go with the look that is happening now. Now, as for this backsplash, I have used smart tiles in the past with great success, but I have never put them on existing tiles. I have a feeling they would not stick very well. When I used smart tiles, it was in places that did not currently have a backsplash at all. It was sheetrock behind, and it stuck pretty well except for in the corners, where even if you bend the tile sheet to fit in the corners, it winds up popping up later. I highly recommend cutting the tiles when you get to a corner, doing sort of a mitered cut so that the two edges come together and you're not just relying on the bent sheet to stay in place. Because unfortunately, in my opinion and in my experience, they do not stay in place well. I am very dubious due to this about putting smart tiles on top of pre-existing ceramic tiles. I don't think it's going to go that well. And I also think that on the side of the wall, you're going to be able to see where you overlapped the smart tiles on top of these ceramic tiles. When you have these square tiles, there are things called tile tattoos. You'll want to Google that. There's several different brands, but they are specifically made for this size of tile. You can even cut it down if your tile is slightly larger or slightly smaller than the tile tattoos offered. But those are really easy to use. They stick on like contact paper. Of course, you wouldn't do it on every one of your square tiles. You'd choose maybe a pattern that you're wanting to um, put throughout. They have lots of colors, even colors that would go with this burgundy wall. 
And I think that would be a better choice than painting these tiles or than putting those smart tile sheets all over. Now another option, and I want you to consider saving your pennies to do this, is that when you redo the floor, which it sounds like you need to do sooner rather than later because now you have this big patch in the middle of your flooring that does not go and is really an eyesore, um, I would have that same contractor change out this backsplash because it's really not that expensive to change a backsplash, it's really not that hard to do, and the new tiles are not that expensive. For me, I think that's completely the way to go in this scenario because also looking at all of your pictures, on the right-hand side, the backsplash goes around the corner and ends where the stove ends. But on the left-hand side, the backsplash tile goes around the corner and the countertop stops, the cabinets have stopped, and the backsplash tile keeps going. Like, what? is that? What happened there? Uh, That's not okay. So there's something that you can't fix, even if you were to cover it up. And that is this goofiness, this weird anomaly of the backsplash just going on and on. I can't see how far it continues based on this imagery, but even going one tile past the countertops, past the cabinets, looks like it kind of ran amok. I think it would be worth the minimal investment to just change that out. I would also, on the left-hand side, because there's, well, I won't get into that. I was going to tell you to stop the backsplash on the left-hand side at the wall. Don't go around the corner on the left-hand side since there's no stove. There's nothing that's going to splash up there. I still feel like I would do that and just sheetrock that face. But it will be worth the investment, and the investment won't be that much. You've already got the tile person in your house. It's really not going to add a significant expense. And you could do something really clean and simple like subway tile. Now, I would not do a color or even a very strong pattern if you're going to keep these colorful walls. They are so saturated, so loud, that it will compete with anything else loud. And so you may want to do a neutral, like an off-white subway tile, even though I do think that's a little bit too simplistic, Um, or just something really clean and neutral, no color added, but it sounds like you don't like this wall color either. So while you're changing the tile, while you're changing the floor, just repaint it. That's something you don't even have to hire for because I have a feeling this kitchen is not so big. In fact, that might be something I just do tomorrow for fun because I can't deal with this wall color anymore. Just a thought, but I'm glad you sent in your question and please let us know what happens. We're all waiting anxiously to hear which direction you choose. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. During this pandemic, one thing has become very clear to me. It's that life is too short to not be living your dream. What is your dream? Do you dream of becoming an interior designer? If so, you'll want to head over to affordableinteriordesign.com academy. There you'll find a quiz that will help you determine the best path for you to becoming an interior designer. Do you want to work at a high-end firm? Are you hoping to maybe open your own business? Or is this something that maybe you should just keep as a hobby? Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com academy. There you'll find a quiz that I personally crafted to help set you on the correct path to make your interior design dreams a reality. 
All right, let's get to my next question, which comes from Lori. Lori writes, thank you for your podcast. I look forward to listening every episode. I have a problem with my living room, and I was hoping you could share some advice. I'm attaching pictures for your reference. We have a baby grin in one corner that I hope to get rid of shortly to free up some space in this room. We need more seating. We don't have a separate family room, so we use this room to watch TV, hang out, etc. And right now we only have one couch and one chair. I was thinking of getting a sectional, moving the TV over the fireplace, and removing the armoire. But I do have some questions. Number one, I am not sure if a sectional will be too big in this room. It is a relatively small room. All right. So I cannot emphatically tell you, Lori, if a sectional is a good idea or not. Because, as you know, I like to do my due diligence when creating floor plans. So you're a frequent listener. You've heard me talk about my master layout system. I never, ever, ever, ever create a layout without it. Even today, I was working with a client, Patrick, on his new apartment in New York City. And there was a definite place which the bed should go. It seemed so clear, so obvious. But I like to do my due diligence. I like to try every possible option. And though Patrick was quite convinced that the bed was only going on one wall, as we explored all the possibilities, just to make sure that we left no stone unturned, we actually realized that for his specific needs, the way he wanted to use the room, the bed was so much better on the other wall. I want you to be open to discovering these things as well. And discovering these things takes some time. I have to drop it in a floor planner, manipulate it, talk it through with the client. I also never create a floor plan in a vacuum. So I won't just go off and do my own thing as much as I would like to do that. It is a collaborative conversation with my client to make sure that I'm meeting their needs, to make sure I'm not putting things in a place they already tried and determined they didn't like because in Patrick's case, maybe the view out one side of the window was a brick wall and the view outside the other side of the window was the Statue of Liberty. I mean, those are totally different room experiences. And depending on where you put the seating, it's going to greatly impact um, the impact of your surroundings, right? So I'm not going to tell you off the cuff, yes, this is the perfect room for a sectional or no, it's not. But I will tell you that there's only a couple of reasons I would use the sectional. The first is if you need a lot of seating, if you love to entertain, if you have a large family, things like that. The second is if you have two focal points in a room that don't share the same wall. In other words, if you have a fireplace and a TV and you're hoping to put them on separate walls, ideally perpendicular walls, because that way from both parts of the seating, uh, you can see both focal points and that makes it really ideal for a sectional. In this case, you do have a fireplace, you do have a TV. We don't know about their placements, but these are ideas that you want to keep in mind as you try every possible option in this room because a sectional is a really big investment, not only financially, but also spatially. It's going to take up a lot of room. So you want to make sure it's just the perfect thing before you make that investment. Uh, Your next question is, if I do get a sectional, what is the maximum length? Oh my goodness. Now, come on, Lori. If I can't tell you whether or not you should get a sectional, I certainly can't tell you the size of that sectional. But I can tell you that finding a small sectional can be challenging. In order to get a fully backed sectional, which means a back and an arm on both sides, about the smallest you're going to find is 93 by 93. There are smaller sectionals than that, but they don't actually hold very many people because that corner wedge is 36 by 36. By the time 
time you add on the additional inches on either side, it's basically like gluing two armchairs to an ottoman. So 93 by 93 is really the smallest I typically glow. And then it goes up from there. Certainly there can be very long arms, but keep in mind, just because you have an 110-inch arm, an 120-inch arm, does not mean it's comfortable for more than three people. Nobody wants to talk over Jack and Judy to get to Jill, right? That's awkward and strange. So three people is really the best expectation for an arm of a sectional or for a straight sofa because you don't want to wind up with a whole bunch of frogs on a log, right? All looking in one direction and not able to conversate. Your next question, number three is, would we have enough distance between the sectional and the TV if it was mounted on the wall above the fireplace without killing our necks looking up? Would it be uncomfortable? Well, you know, I can't tell you that either because, you know, I'd have to do the depth of the room. You do want to allow for walkways. The one pro about putting the TV above the fireplace in this situation is that your mantle is not too high. Sometimes when people have a mantle that's really high, it's going to make their TV practically touch the ceiling, which is not ideal. And when you do have a shallow space, it doesn't mean that you can't put your TV above the fireplace. It just means that you may want to put it on an angle so that it's facing somewhat downwards that TV, kind of like they do in a sports bar or in a hospital where they angle that TV down towards the seating. So that way you have a better viewpoint without straining your neck. Um, I don't always put a TV in front of a, above a fireplace. In fact, oftentimes I think it's not a good idea due to the lack of depth in a room or the height of that mantle as I just discussed. So you'll want to weigh the pros and cons because you do have room on either side of the fireplace perhaps to put the TV on a corner unit. But I will tell you I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you are getting rid of this TV armoire. Not only do those scream 1990s, but also it's just huge and bulky and it's basically the big wooden elephant in this room. Uh, You actually have two big wooden elephants, the second being that grand piano you wrote about. So if nobody is an aficionado in your home, I'm really glad that you're moving on and taking that piece out. Then you ask, what size would you recommend for the room? We have a small 5x7 that needs to go as well. Well, all of this comes down to the floor plan, and you know that I want the rug to be at least partially under both arms of that sectional, and at least partially under any upholstered seating in the room. So that armchair I can see in the picture, that would need to be partially on the rug as well to help define that area. I can't tell you what size that would be because I don't know what size your sectional is going to be. First, what I do is I make sure that I put the pieces around the room in their strategic locations. I layer in rugs only after I've created that optimal floor plan. And you want to do the same thing because depending on where you put this furniture, it will dictate the size and shape of your rug. Also, the orientation in which you should lay it. Uh, And usually you'll find there's a couple sizes that will work, that could work, and there's typically one size that is most ideal. So hopefully after you've done your due diligence, you will find that size and it will become quite clear. You end by saying, any ideas on how to make this room work better would be ever so appreciated. We need to update this quickly. I hope you and yours are healthy and well. 
Well, luckily, we are healthy. Well, I am taking day by day because with everything that's going on, sometimes I feel more mentally well than others. And at this moment in time, I'm using this podcast as a nice distraction from other things that are less interesting or, well, let's just say that are a little bit heavier. I need something light. I need to talk about your armoire. All right, so the only other thing I think is that I think you have this beautiful bay window, which causes the flooring and the wall to jut out a little bit, and I think that's a challenge that you need to consider, Um, because typically when there's a bay window, it doesn't always increase the footprint of the room. Sometimes the window just juts out, but the floor does not jut out below it. It kind of protrudes from the house, and in this case, your floor plan um, also juts out. And so that would really impact what I would be thinking as I'm creating the layout in here. All right, Lori, I hope that's given you some good food for thought. I hope it's given all my listeners a nice light distraction. Now, as we re-enter our day, I hope that you do so um, with a little more peace, a lot of love, face mask, hand sanitizer, and hope because I'm feeling hopeful about what this month will bring, both donation-wise and peace-wise. All right, everyone, I'm thinking of you, and I'll be talking to you next week. Bye. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.